Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 135, The Icarus Factor. John? Ken? You're, um, you're looking well? What's that supposed to mean? Oh, every time with this. You know, before this is over, you and I are going to have it out, mister. In the meantime, though, we should welcome people to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week, we pick apart a single episode of Star Trek to see what makes it tick. Then we see if it stands the test of time. So, uh, Ken, would you like to tell people how to get in touch with us? Oh, you'd like that, wouldn't you? Fine. Mission Log Pod is the place to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. That's our handle in all those places. Uh, you can call me, or us, I guess if you want to, 323-522-5641. You can email John, missionlog at roddenberry.com. <laughs> our show website, including discovered documents. I do read some of the emails, by the way. I, I, I read. Oh, oh, I know you Some do. of them, yeah. Our show website, about it. including Discover Documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log, uh, just like today's episode, which is uh, the Icarus Factor. That's right, Ken. Today, the Icarus Factor. And uh, we'll actually get into that, uh, if you'll indulge me. I'll what? go right into trivia. I got to say, really quickly, yeah. I had thought this was going to be another one of those slingshot around the sun episodes. Mm-hmm. That would have been perfect, right? Hello, Icarus. Yeah. That's an Icarus yeah. joke. Uh-huh. Oh, the Greek historians are busting a gut. <laughs> well, Ken, today's episode is written by David Asale with Robert McCullough, and actually Burton Armas helped out too, but he doesn't get an on-screen credit here. Now, it was directed by Robert Iscove, and uh, he has an extensive directing career, but this is his only foray into Star Trek. Interestingly, he got his start as a choreographer, working with everyone from Anne Margaret to Alice Cooper. He had a terrible injury while working on Jesus Christ Superstar in 1973. And uh, you may ask yourself, well, uh, why didn't he stick around for more Star Trek? Well, he was a fan of the original series, but he had problems with the emotion or, well, lack thereof in Roddenberry's approach to Next Gen. And uh, as we talk about it, we'll see that this is a human character drama in today's episode. And uh, he just didn't like the way that it added up. So this is the only entry that we get from Robert Iskov as a director. Now, Kyle Riker is played by noted character actor Mitchell Ryan, and uh, it was his time in the Navy in the early 50s that inspired him to become an actor. He was assigned to special services in the entertainment division, and uh, he did a lot of TV work, including a regular gig on Dark Shadows before getting into film. Now, he may be best known to many people as the bad guy from Lethal Weapon. Um, He also appeared in North and South along with every other working actor in 1985, including Star Trek actors Kirstie Alley and Jonathan Frakes. Newer TV audiences may know him as the very conservative father on Dharma and Greg. Now, again, let's talk about those Klingons. Uh, There were only so many costumes to go around since Star Trek V had been shooting nearby. Uh, They had just wrapped up a little prior to this episode going into production. And uh, so Next Gen made do with the costumes that they could get. And they even improvised by using some boots 
from uh, the TV version Planet of the Apes in the Klingon scene. <laughs> it <laughs> so. is so crazy to me that they would still have boots laying around from Planet of the Apes. Yeah, right. Because, I mean, the, the TV show would have been, what, mid-70s, late-70s? Yeah, I think it was 74. Yeah. Wow. So 15-year-old boots. Mm-hmm. 16-year-old boots. Just like, yeah. you know, well, keep these because we may need them someday. Right. I will say it makes me feel better about my closet. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, now, can one of the Klingons here may stand out to you? And, mm-hmm. and not just Worf, because this Klingon likes really smooth contemporary adult industrial music um ring any bells i don't know he uh, he toured with yanni mm-hmm. uh he wrote the theme to the bobby's world tv show he even wrote the theme tune for the nba on nbc is that the one and, that goes are you ready for some football uh, no that that, okay. would be, that would that would be different <laughs> okay <laughs> um, yeah that, so, was hank, uh, that was hank somebody something anyway so that, was, that wasn't the was, guy yeah yeah yeah. Um, it was the beard so, that threw me. Right. I, I'm talking about the one and only John Tesh. Ah, wow. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Now, uh, he was a Star Trek fan. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they made a big deal out of it on Entertainment Tonight when he was making this episode. So there are a lot of behind-the-scenes shots from that. And uh, he didn't actually get a name because he doesn't have any lines in the show. So he's just one of those Klingons. Uh, but he was later given a name by the Star Trek customizable card game. So he is officially Katesh. <laughs> Get out. Really? <laughs> no, I swear. Right. I am not making that up. And uh, Ken, you mentioned before Icarus. Mm-hmm. So what exactly is the story of Icarus? Well, Icarus was the son of Daedalus, uh, a master craftsman who built wings out of wax and feathers to escape Crete, where they were both trapped by uh, King Minos's labyrinth, the one that Daedalus himself had built. So uh, Daedalus gave Icarus plenty of warning about how to fly, and uh, Icarus didn't follow the warnings. If he went too low, he would crash into the ocean. If he went too high, then the heat from the sun would melt the wings, and well, Icarus flew too high. So melted the wings, and he fell into the sea. And uh, uh, by the way, did I mention this is all myth? Uh, yeah, this didn't actually happen. But one thing that actually did happen is that you have uh, the Icarus, well, named after Icarus, the Icarian Sea right off of Greece. So the name lives on that way. And hey, Ken and listeners, the name Daedalus might sound familiar. Well, hold on to that thought because we'll get to it several episodes down the road. It is bring someone else's dad to work day on the Enterprise. Let us see how that goes. Prologue. Heading to Starbase Montgomery to look into a minor engineering problem. Well, not really a problem, just an odd thing that should be looked at. Picard lets his first officer know that some assignment transfers have come in for a certain crew on the Enterprise. What might that assignment be? An offer from the starship Ares. Starfleet wants Riker to take over as captain as she heads out on an exploratory scientific mission far, far away to investigate signs of life. Act 1. Lucky for Riker, their arrival at Starbase Montgomery means he can meet a civilian advisor who can help more with information about this mission. Riker heads down to the transporter room to greet... Oh, it's his dad... And it's not one of those awkward, my dad isn't the cool dad moments. It's more like, you're the guy who ruined my childhood moments. 
After a chilly reception, Riker goes off to do some work and leaves dad, Kyle Riker, to his own until they have a briefing. News travels fast on the Enterprise because the next thing you know, Wesley is nipping at Worf's heels about the arrival of Riker's dad. Worf is not only uninterested, but outright hostile. Hostile to the teenager who lost his own father, tragically. Ugh. Wesley takes it in stride, though. Just like getting advice about girls from everybody, he decides to ask everybody about Worf. He's genuinely concerned, so he recruits Data and Geordi to help him out. Now, those three do exactly what you'd expect. They put the whole thing through the ringer of the scientific method to see what happens from observation. At 10 forward, Riker is commiserating with O'Brien when who should walk in but the old man himself. Kyle Riker is glad-handing everyone in there like he owns the place. Then he sees Dr. Pulaski. Hello. They know each other for real. Awkward table for two. Act two. Kyle and Dr. Pulaski continue to catch up. She married and divorced three times. He wonders why it couldn't have worked out between them. She knew it couldn't, but she still likes the guy. Also in 10 forward is Worf. Data approaches him to research his behavior. He thought Worf was tough on Wesley. He's got no patience for Data either. Annoyed, Riker sits in his quarters looking at old family photos when in walks irritated Worf. Worf is already planning his exit, asking Riker for a job on the Aries. Riker says he hasn't even taken the job yet, so cool it, okay? In the briefing room, Riker gets his orders from Riker Sr. The orders don't matter. It's all on the computer. What Kyle is there to do is offer some kind of a hand in peace. Will isn't interested. He's still smarting from the loss of his mother and the seeming abandonment by his father. Act 3. In sickbay, Kyle is hanging out with his friend, Dr. Pulaski. She's got an ulterior motive, though. No, not that kind. She introduces him to Deanna Troy. Sure, it's all friendly at first, but Deanna knows a thing or two, like how Kyle is in seemingly endless competition with his son, and how he maybe even is a little jealous of him. Now it's Picard's time to talk to Will. Nothing personal, just more about the potential of being captain of the Ares. It doesn't get personal until Kyle drops by. Goodbye, Picard. Time for more of that father and son chat. Kyle's not exactly making it easy by offering to help Will. And in this case, it just brings up the fact that Will has been on his own since he was 15. Back in engineering, Jordy is still concerned about the engines. He just can't figure out why he's getting the reading he is when... Oh, forget it. Here comes Wesley with news about Worf. He's got it figured out. This is the 10th anniversary of Worf's Age of Ascension. It's a Klingon thing you wouldn't understand. With a distinct lack of Klingons on board, they start to hatch a plan. How about the holodeck? It can literally do just about anything. Will Riker drops by sickbay to apologize to Dr. Pulaski. He was kind of a jerk in 10 forward when he saw her with his father. It's all cool, though. And here's some advice from the good doctor. Grow up. Stop acting like a hurt teenager if you're going to go off and captain a starship. Act 4. Riker is still in a professional quandary. Should he take the command or should he stay where he is? Picard offers some helpful advice, mostly along the lines of, you have to make this decision on your own, but let me tell you, being captain is awesome. Will does drop by Deanna's office where he offers a goodbye. They both try hard to maintain professional decorum, but this one hits Deanna hard. She doesn't want to see him go. Outside his quarters, Will runs into his father again. Kyle makes one last overture that he'd like to leave on good terms, but Will is not interested. 
Okay, want to play it that way? We'll fight it out in a martial arts contest. No, really. Time for a commercial. Act 5, really? You're going to fight your son? So says Dr. Pulaski, and she's got a point. Apparently they did this all the time. Never mind that Will is now a strapping young man and Kyle is a bit older. In the holodeck, Worf is presented with his own challenge. His friends have ordered up a proper rite of ascension, complete with party hats, a bouncy castle, and cake. I'll scratch all of that off and replace it with a half-dozen mean-looking Klingons wielding pain sticks. You see, they're sticks that cause... Uh, you get it. Worf does what he is supposed to do. He walks through the aisle flanked by Klingons, virtual Klingons this time, while muttering feel-good Klingon aphorisms like the bile of the vanquished flows over my hands and I crave only the blood of my enemy and this is not the end. It is not even the beginning of the end and I'm good enough. I'm smart enough and, and hang in there, little guy. All the time, they're jabbing him with the pain sticks, and he really looks like he's in pain. At the end, though, we're pretty sure he liked it. Violent Ritual Part 2. We're now in the Anbojitsu arena where Will and Kyle Riker are about to go at it, covered in fancy armor and carrying long weapons. Fortunately, it's one of those fights where there's a lot of important dialogue in and around the fighting, so you know all the emotional subtext. Also, they wear masks while fighting. And with the blast shield down, you can't see anything. The fight carries on, and Kyle has just about completely beat Will, except there's one small thing. He cheated. Apparently, he always has cheated. In some twisted logic, Kyle would always take out young Will in their fights in order to challenge him and make him come back for more. There's no way Will could have won, so it's kind of like the Kobayashi Maru, except in this one, your father keeps coming back all the time to show you how much better than you he is. That, my friends, is a breakthrough. At least we have no option to look at it any other way because it ends with sweat, yelling, and then an I love you from Kyle to his son. Aww. Will Riker says goodbye, and he's all ready to accept his new assignment on the Aries. But not so fast. When the Enterprise is preparing to pull away from Starbase Montgomery, Riker comes back to the bridge and announces that he would like to stay. The end. All right, I got so many questions about <laughs> I bet. I about the organization of Starfleet too. and all that stuff. Let's start with, um, well, I guess let's start where you just finished, because it's not even really a thing, right? So Picard yeah. is saying, all right, let's leave the planet because we don't have Riker anymore because Riker has accepted this other thing and he's gone now. And then Riker just shows up. He's like, oh, is my is anybody taking my seat? Because I would assume that once you lose your, your first in command or your second in command or whatever, I'm, I'm so bad about that. But once you lose somebody in Riker's position, you've got to go, well, Mr. Data, from now on, you'll be that guy. Or, well, Mr. War, from now on, you'll be that guy. Or, yeah. well, Counselor Troy, you keep sitting where you are. So, I mean, you're going to have to say to somebody, <laughs> you're going to be my second in command now, right? Yeah, you're going to be my go-to guy. You would think he would have decided that the second he found out that Riker was leaving. And by the way, is the Ares now waiting on a captain to come by? <laughs> but that's that's all starting at the end of the whole thing. Let's start at the very beginning. What's up with Picard not telling Riker that it's his dad that's coming to uh, greet them? Now, uh, I mean, because Picard does not seem like a surprise party kind of guy. No. And and I forgive me, I don't want to jump the timeline, but it seems to me that we find out later that Picard has a few family issues of his own. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, I mean, I know Riker's dad asked Picard to keep it quiet, but Picard is captain of a starship. 
And Riker yeah. is his first officer. And this guy coming aboard is basically a civilian contractor. I know it's his dad. <laughs> and I know it's for the reveal for the audience that Picard keeps the secret, but it makes zero sense. Now, I, I, I forgive me because I, I, I don't like to do the correction thing. I, I do kind of have to correct you on one thing here. What's that? You said that uh, Riker leaves his father to uh, his own devices. Yeah. He does not. Riker actually asks the transporter dude to have security escort him to his quarters. To his quarters, right. And that's that's kind of a big distinction because it's, it's like, you know, you are going to be treated as – it is as if we have brought an enemy combatant onto this <laughs> ship. That is how you're going to be treated. And, and, and props, by the way, to this nameless – transporter dude for not like leaving the room or like just like beaming himself yeah, out because yeah. he's got the ability to do that and lord knows that's what i would want to do yeah if like one of my superiors is standing there going oh look who it is it's my jerk dad i'd be like okay i'm just gonna <laughs> i'm gonna set this to be me um anywhere on the other side of the wall <laughs> exactly. anywhere but here i was in that wall for a few seconds and honestly it was a comfortable <laughs> few seconds compared to what i left nah. yeah all right. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I didn't really think too much about the security thing because it just felt like, well, standard operating procedure. Sure, maybe it would be the officer showing that person to their quarters, but mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, it's like get get somebody here, anybody here, because it's Riker and because it's their relationship. Of course, it's awkward and wrong, no matter what. Right. Um, but I, I felt less uneasy about that than the whole idea of Picard just not telling him. Because you don't, if you're the guy in charge, you don't hold information back from your crew. You know, that's, um, that's kind of my feeling too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I See, here's the thing. You can kind of go back to like uh, the Titanic, where that's a good example of a breakdown in communication. Like if you know something, then you make sure that that thing is known to everybody in the crew. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. with you on that. Yeah. Even, even hey, if I, they said make it a surprise. Right, right, right. Iceberg. Make a surprise. <laughs> They're pretty this time of year. Um, but I will give Picard props for being a nice guy after all. He apologizes to Riker about how he treated him in Encounter at Farpoint. Yeah. And I know that to me that was a sticking point in that episode. And a lot of people wrote in saying like, well, it's not that big of a deal because this is kind of a hazing. And I thought, Please let let's get beyond hazing in the 24th century. Mm. Um, but but more importantly than that, it, it, it's sort of like uh, a shakedown for how this org chart, how, how this command will work. Right. But here he gets to relax, and even if it wasn't specific about the character moment, I'm glad that they called back the incident and said, yeah. um, "Hey, look, I I treated you unfairly at that time, but." You're you're a guy that I trust. You're a guy that I like. The further that we get into next gen, I love the fact that they're that they're making sure that we understand. Even though you could watch this episode independent of anything else, yeah, I, I love the fact that they're that they're letting the audience know. Hey, by the way, we remember what happened last week. Yeah, for the yeah. most part, we remember what happened. You know, a few weeks ago, and we remember what happened last season. Hey, um, they even remember what happened years ago because they mentioned Tholians. That's true. That's they mentioned Tholians, so shout out. Yeah, nothing about the, the web, things. but, you know, yeah. maybe they didn't right. get to that. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Picard's nice to Riker about, you know, how they met the first time when he wasn't nice to him. I am a little mm -hmm. concerned by the whole, 
Hey, by the way, sorry I was jerked the first time we met. Uh, good news, you got a promotion. You have 12 hours to decide how the rest of your life is going to go. And I don't want to tell you how to live it. Let me just go ahead, though, and say congratulations on the choice you're obviously going to make. <laughs> right. And right. it's sort of like, oh, well, well, Picard's doing some learning. Yeah. There, there might need to be a tiny bit more. <laughs> just it, about, it's, if you want 24 hours to think about it, maybe. Yeah. Like a whole it, day. It, it's... It's a good thing that Picard is not jerk enough to keep throwing that back into Riker's face. So like every episode after that, where he, he, he calls out for Riker and goes, Captain, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, number one. <laughs> yeah, sorry, you know, I funny. thought I was talking to a fellow captain here. You, uh, you joke about that, but I think we're actually probably going to come back to that in a little bit. <laughs> we might. Yeah. We might. Um, uh, Worf's reaction to Wesley. Wow. Uh, that, that was not cool and um and i thought wesley's reaction to that whole thing it wasn't that it wasn't cool i thought it was maybe just a little weird too yeah you know well like wesley is just completely uncool in this episode i mean i can't remember if he's actually been terribly cool in any episode yet but he is totally uncool in this episode he's like it's like it's like uh, he's a puppy and wharf's got treats in his pocket (laughs) right the way he's following him down the hall I got to say that Worf's reaction is all over weird in this episode. I love <laughs> the the thing with that with that data and ten Ford. With all due respect, <laughs> be gone, <laughs> sir. It's, it's very nice, and I can't even pretend to yell like Michael Dorn. Well, it was kind of a, a strange note that uh, Data says of Worf: Klingons are genetically predisposed to hostility, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I wonder if that was a, a line that someone would write now. You know, we we ask that every now and then about certain lines in the show, and um, I don't know about Klingons. I think they probably would. I mean, there's a, there's a yeah. thing about uh, Klingons and Vulcans that uh, that's a bit similar, right? Vulcans have the pond far. Vulcans have also sort of this like constant, you know, inner inner fire in their blood that they're having to tamp down. Yeah, uh, we're given to understand that there is something um, different uh, racially, genetically about yeah. Vulcans and about Klingons in that respect. Now, I yeah. mean, it, it crosses the line when you get to things like what happened in Star Trek Six. Sure. You know, but but those sure. lines were written to cross that line. Right. But I I didn't have a problem with that one. I actually had a problem with something that Deanna said about men later. Uh, oh, but oh, again, we'll, yeah. get, we'll get to we'll, that too. It's we'll, in there. We will get to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, O'Brien states something uh, about family versus friends. I, I pulled that line out. You choose your enemies, you choose your friends, but family that's in the stars. Um, I thought it, it, it was particularly profound, but it was kind of a, a nice moment to put things in perspective for uh, Riker. It's also and, great to see um, great to see O'Brien getting so much more screen time. I know, right? And, and then that they're friends. Yes, they, they actually sit there and talk. He's palling around in the bar. He's talking to uh, he's talking to Geordi uh, about what's going on in engineering, and they're having they're having like a camaraderie moment. It's not even like mm-hmm. a, oh well, I think the problem is here, Lieutenant, you know, or whatever. It's actually just like a wow. It stinks yeah. that your machine's not working. Oh, my machine's fine. Yeah. By the right. way, everything's going great in the transporter room, in case you're wondering. But you keep working on your problem in engineering. And he's even invited to Worf's birthday party, Ascension yeah. Naming Day, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Mazel tov, everybody. Yeah. Mazel, Mazel tov. Tov. Oh, it's not yeah. as... No, it's not as bar mitzvah. Okay. Uh, no. Or that's not as bar mitzvah, but it's not as breast. No, I, was I, say. I certainly hope not. Oh, man, that would be. If there's anything you don't want to go to, wow. it's a Klingon breast. <laughs> I would yeah. think not. Yeah. Uh. Hey, um, Picard is a very smart guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, why does he have no idea how to pronounce the name Flaherty? 
I'm, well, I'm, I'm assuming that that's Flaherty's thing. He's actually met the guy before. And, and he's like, no, 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 no. I realize my name is spelled Flaherty, but I go by Flaherty. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's part of my 40 linguistics thing. I actually, I know it sounds like an earth name, but it's not. It's a, it's a, it's a Vlaherg name. <laughs> and that's a cool ability. Uh, 40 languages and he just picks them up naturally. That, that would be very handy if you travel. Um, I like that a lot. Uh, one of the other things that I like here is I love Kyle telling Will, lower your shields, because mm-hmm. I love it when sci-fi shows use their own jargon as colloquialisms. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. Like, um, and it's definitely an older term than that, but I, I loved it. And like, uh, if you ever see episodes of Space Patrol from the 50s, I, I believe uh, the, the commander tells Hap, cool your jets. You know, and it's just it's just great to kind of land it right there in uh, in the the time and the uh, uh, sort of the world that they're in. Um, oh, oh man, and and I really thought that the bile of the vanquished flows over my hands should be on a bumper sticker or like on a on a jacket, maybe like an embroidery or something. I thought that was a great line. <laughs> and um, should get somebody to cross stitch it for us. Yeah, exactly. With like the you know the, the cute little like you know flowery border. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be good. That'd be very be, nice. I like that yeah, idea. Yeah. Um, good scene between Riker and Deanna uh, when he tells her goodbye. Um, he, he does say emotions are what make us human, which is interesting because go back to the trivia, and it was the director who was having a problem seeing that the next generation was kind of sucking the emotion out of the characters compared at least to what he loved about the original series. Um, and by the way, I didn't mention it in trivia, uh, but we do have a missing scene uh, with Wesley trying to trick Data into doing the, uh, the sort of the recon on Worf uh, and doing that for him. That's why when they get to 10 forward, Jordy says to Data, and remember, they don't have Wesley with them. I can't believe you fell for that. Mm-hmm. So there's a preceding scene that would have been Wesley telling Data, like, oh, I got to do schoolwork, you know. And I thought, well, maybe it's a good thing that we didn't see that scene, mm-hmm. because then we might think of Wesley as a manipulative liar, <laughs> which is definitely out of character. It actually seems like a totally superfluous scene, though. I mean, having not seen it, I can just tell you, I mean, when, when Data says he needed time for his studies and Jordy says, I can't believe you fell for that, I don't need to see that scene. I mean, whether whether Wesley tried to get it over on Data, whether Jordy is just being you know a little suspicious and Data is just that clueless, I mean, to have played that scene out would have actually told us more. It, it's more fun to just, I mean, you can save the time and you can save, you know, trying to show everybody every single step just with those two lines. Just the, you know, he needed time for his studies. I can't believe you fell for that. <laughs> if you're actually going to consider it, I mean, there are a number of ways that that scene might have happened, but I would rather not have to sit through it. <laughs> Is that right, wrong? Right. I don't know. I, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I can see every reason why they wouldn't have it in there, but it, it does inform what came afterward. Um, it is interesting uh, that there's a martial arts room on mm-hmm. board that is not the holodeck, um, yeah. but then they have to use the holodeck for other things like, well, Klingon rituals, which, uh, okay, maybe I can get that, but also like memorial services <laughs> yeah, um, i don't get it i don't understand i mean i know the enterprise is a big ship there was something else a couple of weeks ago too that they went to oh the the firing range oh yeah so yeah, so yeah, far yeah, they've yeah. got a martial arts range and a firing range um mm-hmm. you know i'm not saying that the people on the enterprise are not 
fit. I'm not saying that they're not a healthy group of people. Yeah. But I mean, they're also not like, you know, Venice Beach <laughs> people <laughs> or Muscle Beach or whatever, like whatever beach, you know, wherever somebody's like tanned and oiled and you're like all muscly and stuff, right? Yeah. They got, they got a lot of like workout rooms and stuff on the Enterprise when it seems like a holodeck would, would, would more than suffice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like holodeck is a much better use of that space. Just Wouldn't you think? Well, yeah. It can be anything. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it, it, you know, yeah, I don't get it. Do you really need a martial arts gym that much? Do you really need a gym that well, much when it, it could just be, you know, anything you want it to be? If you're going to have a fight with your dad, apparently the answer is yes. I am glad engineering got that thing with the thing that. What were they working on again? Last weekend, we learned that Riker's dad couldn't cook. Mm. And this week, we learned that uh, that same dad is kind of a jerk, too. Yeah. And it's interesting that Dr. Pulaski didn't mention it during breakfast with those horrible eggs that uh, she knew the old man. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So these are one week apart. Well, and, uh, didn't she say, I didn't know your dad could cook? I mean, she didn't yeah. say how. <laughs> right. Well, but it was funny. <laughs> she she says in uh, in Ten Ford, uh, or is it? Yeah, it was, it was later on with Riker. She says, eh, "Well, he, he never came up." Well, well, no, actually, he came up last week at breakfast. <laughs> so, so he did. He did come up. Good point. That. Yeah. I don't walk um, around telling everybody whose dad I know. I know them. What? Uh, Wait a minute. Well, what? Yeah. That's kind of odd. What I love, though, is that Pulaski's past is explored a little more here. She, uh, we learn, has had three marriages that ended, uh, though one can't say failed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's, she's totally cool with it. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes you wonder. It makes, well, I mean, we've seen things like who was the admiral who was getting really old? He and his wife were like 127 or something. And no, that's how old Bones was. He and his oh. wife were like in their late 80s and he had some debilitating whatever and then he took all of the drug that made him young and it turned him into a jerk. Sure. And yeah, I can't remember which one that is. <laughs> I, I, surprise, I'm, surprise. I know. <laughs> It'll come back to me. Yeah, no doubt. So they stay married for a very, very, very long time, right? Yeah. It, it did kind of make me wonder though and Pulaski's like, yeah, I had three husbands. It's all good though. Um, what marriage is like in the 24th century? Um in one of Isaac Asimov's books, I believe it was one of the robot novels. I, I even want to say it's the Robots of Dawn, but I'm not sure that that's right, so don't hold me to it. Hmm. But in one of one of those books, um, marriage on one of the planets that had been settled by people is a seven-year contract, which is not to say that you can only stay married for seven years, but at the end of the seven years, uh, both parties reassess and decide whether to sign on for another seven years or, you know, to part ways. So you can have people who are married 49 years or, you know, any multiple or, you know, for the rest of their lives or whatever. But it's like a seven years and then let's let's renegotiate or let's reevaluate kind of thing. Um, and it kind of made me wonder if in the Star Trek universe is divorce less acrimonious or is Pulaski just one of those really cool hippie chicks that you see in movies? <laughs> you know, it was yeah, like, oh, right. yeah, I had yeah. an old man and it was all right for a while and then it wasn't. But we're cool. You know, I don't yeah. I don't know if what we saw was was Pulaski specific or if it was 24th century general or or what that was. But it was it was kind of an interesting thing. Well, it, it was cool. Um, I am reminded of uh, Dan Savage, the uh, the the 
uh, advice columnist, and he's got a, a podcast, Savage Love. And um, he, he makes a very good point when he talks about uh, relationships ending. And he, he said, you know, basically it's the, the campsite rule. You know, le- leave it better than how you found it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and essentially saying that a relationship can come to an end, and that's not the end of the world, um, as long as you are not a horrible person who is, you know, manipulative of the other person. Um, but the, the other point of it that he makes is that when regarding a marriage, uh, saying that death should not be the deciding factor uh, as to whether or not a relationship is successful. <laughs> because you can look at an ended marriage in the case of Pulaski, who says like, hey, the marriages were great and I'm friends with those guys. And now I'm doing this other thing. Yeah. So that, by all accounts, would be success. Now, maybe it'd be different if you interviewed those three guys. <laughs> who knows what their perspectives are? But it's a little unfair. <laughs> it's a little unfair to assume that. You can only say that a marriage was successful if both parties die at some point. Yeah. Um, well, and, no, let's, and let's therefore say if, don't. Uh, if one party dies at some well, point. Well, one party dies. Because you've yeah, got yeah. a weird idea of like even what we think of as successful marriages. If your assumption is the only successful marriage is the one where both parties die. Well, well I would say, no, no, I, I would say not at the same time. Right, right, right. Now, well, no, <laughs> but I mean, okay, okay yes. Fine. But, but both die without having, without the, the other one remarrying. Or something. So then, mm. the, so then that first marriage, or, or whatever number that is, but that marriage in which somebody died is yeah. is, is it. That's you know? the sign of a successful marriage. One of us is dead. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and the other one doesn't do anything else afterward. That's you see. You see I, I don't know why you're tacking that part on, but okay. I don't. You yeah. know. I mean, a good episode of The Love Boat will tell you that you know the lonesome <laughs> widower who thinks he's never allowed to love again is allowed to love again, and usually he realizes somewhere along the way. That his wife would want him to, and you know, same for same, same if you reverse it. That's yeah, boy. I I smell a new podcast coming up. Uh, Love boat ran eight seasons. Nope, nope, not gonna happen. Okay, I'm drawing the line on our imaginary podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I will not do Love Boat. Talk to me about another one. Love Boat is out. All right. Well, maybe we can just do the specials where they had the village people and Charo. Okay. um, So there is something. About this episode, though, that that made me very suspicious, mm-hmm. um, or or at least kind of have a, a negative view of the twenty fourth century. You remember, I started to get worried about it when no one knew what a wild party was. Mm-hmm. Here we were in this shiny, gleaming Hilton Hotel in space, and they're like, "Oh, it looks like a party. What is that? What is this party you speak of?" And now I'm starting to see Starfleet as this dumping ground for orphans. Um, no one on board really has a relationship. I mean, sure, you'd go to a holodeck if you want and and have fun, but but literally, no one has a companion that's not a work buddy. Now, now Deanna and Will Riker, you can kind of chalk that up to say, well, they did have a relationship. Now that relationship is past. They're in a work environment, so they have these feelings, but th- this isn't something they're you know actively seeking out with each other. It's just a sort of undercurrent. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, people hang out. They have eggs in Riker's room where they play poker together. I was starting to get worried about it when the, the O'Brien and Riker conversation happened and then was followed up very shortly by the Pulaski and Kyle Riker conversation. 
Because I think you and I are both saying that there's something kind of cool and kind of positive about the Pulaski conversation. Mm -hmm. But then when you parallel that with what O'Brien is talking about and what we what we learn about Will Riker's background is it just looks like all the people who are on the ship. And remember, there's a thousand of them. And we've seen maybe a couple of kids here and there. And the one kid that we actually follow, his mother and father are both gone, Mm -hmm. you know. So there was something about it that seemed incredibly sad to me that Starfleet, at least, because we don't really know what's going on on Earth, Starfleet, at least, is just filling their ships full of people who have no no relationships otherwise. Hmm. I That's really interesting. It hadn't actually crossed my mind that it was that way. And I'm trying to figure out, like, okay... We talked plenty during the original series about uh, Kirk being at the top of the org chart and Kirk being self-actualized. Right. Kirk had a kid, but he didn't even – mostly he didn't even realize he had a kid. He had a brother, but the one time we saw him, he was dead. He had a nephew who we like lost by the end of that episode. Just didn't even care. Yeah. Um, Spock, of course, had weird things with his family. Bones, I mean, uh, talked lovingly about his father, but never really – I mean, we saw no evidence of him having any family, at least during the original series. I don't guess we ever saw evidence of him having family at all, did we? No, because the, the stuff that got written, like him having a daughter who would have been in the way to Eden, that got pulled. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, is it, I mean, are they accidentally saying something about you can't have it all, or are they intentionally just leaving out those entanglements because it just gets to be too soap opery at that point? Well, I mean, maybe that's part of it is is that in the context of the way that this show was made, when it was made, you couldn't go too deeply into that. But I, I come back to what O'Brien said at that table. He, he said, you know, you can pick your friends and you can pick your enemies, but family, that that's just what you're given. Well, what Riker was given was terrible, mm. <laughs> you know, and, and what Wesley was given was not terrible because his mother is great, but... What he was given was that his dad got killed tragically, and now his mother took on a work assignment that seemed like a better deal. Yeah, well, um, she didn't leave him there, though. He chose to stay. I mean, he did. You, you can actually make the argument that that Wesley is growing up rather than being an orphan that was abandoned there. I mean, she is now head of Starfleet Medical, and and he decided that, you know, yeah, he could go back to Earth. He could hang out at Starfleet Medical, and that would all be great, but he wouldn't be learning as much, and he wouldn't be doing as much. Where he wants to be is on the Enterprise, and so he made that choice for himself. Yeah, but he's also 16. Well. <laughs> you know, I mean, which apparently in Star Trek years is uh, an old man because Riker has been on his own since he was 15. Yes. So then that makes me worry about family life on Earth. Because uh, here we are in uh, idyllic Alaska, uh, mm-hmm. judging by the, the pictures that were on the computer. And he gets to go fishing and he's, do all this cool stuff. But apparently it's just okay if you're on your own at 15. I, um, I, I think you might be thinking about this a little too much. <laughs> uh, well, well, th- this is a show about family and this is a show about relationships. And Man, this is an more- episode about family and this is an episode about relationships. Yeah, but the more we went through every single person on that ship, I kept thinking, man, the, this is – who could Riker possibly go to that could offer a a great example of a functional relationship with other human beings other than work? Because mm-hmm. they all work together great. There's no question about that. 
Have you noticed, though, how it's not generally a problem until this week and probably won't be a problem again for a while? Well, yeah, it's great when all you're doing is working 24 hours a day on a starship. Well, there you, you go. You've got things to distract you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you got a holodeck, for God's sake. Yeah. You know? But yeah. that's where I go back to this idea that, like, it, it is kind of perfect that um, if there are these all these kind of exploded families all over the place, then you can just scoop them up and throw the remnants on a starship and uh, and let them go at it and hopefully let them exceed their expectations that way. Because, um, yeah, a, as a family life, that that seems incongruous with uh, with what's going on here. Can I uh, can I bring up? I mentioned earlier that there was a thing that Deanna had said about men. Yeah. Can I can I bring it up? Yeah, because for about two seconds, I liked that scene, and yeah. then I didn't like that scene. No, it's I mean it's it's neat to see her palling around with Kate. I mm-hmm. mean because we've heard that they've gotten closer, but we haven't seen a lot of them being closer, and so you know it's neat to see her hanging out with her friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, in spite of human evolution, there are still some traits that are endemic to gender. She says, because, you know, they're, they're men, they're human men. And I thought, you know, that's, that's really interesting. I wonder if she could tell me more about that while she's making me a pot pie. <laughs> I was so annoyed by that. I was so, and, 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 and here, Hey, guess what guys, we're going to talk about sexism, but in a way that we haven't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's because right. I'm a big dumb male. I forgot. That's why that's, that's, that's why I'm going to, you know, knock his block off. I mean, there, there are. <sighs> There are interesting ideas approached in this episode about family. There are interesting ideas uh, talked about in this episode about relationships. And and it's just not as explored as I would personally like to see it. But then for her to just plop out without, with that line, because she's theoretically like the psychologist, the psychiatrist. She's, I mean, she is the counselor and she can read emotions, but I hope she's got a little bit more training than that. And she's just standing there going, well, of course they're dumb. They're men. Yeah. <laughs> and Pulaski's yeah. like, yeah. "Wow, you really think it's just that they're men, huh?" Okay, All right. interesting. I right. was, I was. Uh, it was a very stupid line. It was a very stupid idea. If we see that kind of thing from uh, Troy again, then I'm going to really have to question who I'm finally going to go to when I start going to a counselor. Um, <laughs> here's the other thing that I hated about that scene. Well, well not, not hated, but but I was disappointed by with that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought for a moment. This was going to be a scene that would pass the Bechdel test. Have you heard about this? Uh, yes. Okay. So the Bechdel test, for those who don't know, um, uh, when in a movie or TV show you have two female characters talking to each other, talking with each other, and they're not talking about the male characters of the show or solving a problem with the male characters of the show. Mm-hmm. So for a couple of seconds, I thought this was something that was going to be between them. And then the whole thing, not only not only was it about the men who were the primary characters on the show. But it, it it was two things going on at the same time. Like, oh, those men are so stupid, they're going to fight it out. Oh, but we love them anyway, because they're just dumb men. And how can you, how can you help but love them? Yeah, kind of that. Um, I, you know, I actually did, by the way, that whole scene, I, I had one of the questions that I meant to bring up in the last segment. Who's talking about the fact that the Rikers are going to fight? Because they decide in a hallway, Riker and Riker oh, decide in the yeah, hallway, we're yeah, going to beat yeah, each yeah. other up. And the next thing you see, the next scene you see is Kyle walking into Pulaski's office. And she's like, I can't believe you're going to fight. Are they like taking bets below decks? I mean, what, what's, what's going on here? And which one of them blabbed? That's the other question. Yeah. Did Riker like walk onto the bridge and go, anybody, if you need me for the next hour, I'm going to be beating the snot out of my dad. 
and then it just like trickles down from you know from there I think really, if I were going to fight my dad, I would want to keep it kind of hush-hush. And I would hope that if my dad were going to try to kick my backside, that he would also try to keep it a little hush-hush. <laughs> I honestly expected when we got to the fight that there were going to be people there cheering or booing or something. Kyle did have that conversation with Kate, though. He he, he said in the uh, uh, in the sick bay because she asked, she was like, you're not really going to do this. And, and she said, look, you're not a spring chicken. And he was like, look, I, I know a good doctor. That's you. Yeah, but he didn't tell her, though. She knew when he came in. Oh, that, that's true. That's true. That, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 it just yeah. made no sense to me at all. Maybe Deanna could intuit that this was coming to a violent head. And then, being a good confessor, counselor, helper, she went and mm. told everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a printout only. Let's not make an announcement on the ship, because we don't all want them to know that we know. So let's do printout only. But then, right. yeah, get it to everybody. Right. Um, well, that, that was just a, a couple of unfortunate scenes all around. Uh, there, there was one good line about Deanna. I thought this was kind of a cool way of phrasing it. When uh, Dr. Pulaski introduces Kyle to Deanna, she says, Deanna's job is to keep us from deluding ourselves. And mm. I thought, now, that is a really interesting take on counseling, and I kind of like it. Though I wonder what happens when people want to keep deluding themselves or, or if they're beyond therapy or resistant to it. Now, they, their interaction kind of blew up a little bit, and he just walked out of there, and she was like, look, I've got your number, and he's like, I'm not talking to you anymore. Um, <laughs> la, 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 la. <laughs> right, right. But, um, but, but it was a really um, – I, I thought it was a good way to describe the usefulness of a counselor there, not as somebody who makes sure that your emotions are necessarily in check and, and parroting back to you what your emotions are, mm-hmm. which is what it seems Deanna does a lot of but the idea of not deluding ourselves. That could be a very useful thing in a, uh, in a, a high stress and confusing situation as being on a starship might be for some people. Um, let's talk a little bit about Riker's decision. Because, you know, on the one hand, I think that this was entirely informed just by the idea of saying, well, it, you know, again, I go back to I go back to the, uh, the O'Brien thing. You get to choose who your friends are. That, that then becomes your family, at least with the people on this ship, because as I have stated, they have no other families. <laughs> this is their family as being with each other. And Riker, for that moment, he realized, well, all right, I've got this terrible thing with my dad. Deanna is somebody who actually cares about me, even if we have this off again relationship. We're in an off period as far as uh, as far as a, a romantic relationship goes. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to make sure that I stay where where I feel like I belong, where I can build some semblance of a, a personal life and get some sort of emotional life out of being here. I also wondered about just professionally what this meant. Mm-hmm. You know, for for Picard trying to sell this idea on Riker, is it really better to be a big fish in a very small pond? Or or was there something else in Riker's professional decision to stay? Like I said, I, I get the family and friends thing. I really, really do. Because mm-hmm. I think that's one of the more interesting parts of this episode. But is there a professional decision here that that tells Riker, you know what? It's pretty good to be number two on a prestigious ship with a great captain, maybe even better than being number one. And 
I realize I'm using that not entirely correctly. Right. But the head guy on this small ship out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I, I kind of wondered about that, too. I mean, uh, Picard actually um, says uh, there's really no substitute to holding the reins, which sounds, you know, kinky. Especially when, <laughs> when Picard goes, shh, <laughs> before he says right, it. He just puts right. his fingers to his lips and says, there's yeah. really no substitute to holding the reins. Okay, but <laughs> aside from the kinkiness, right? Yeah. Um, I'm kind of wondering what Picard is saying to him at that point and also what Picard's going to think of him going forward. Because here's the thing. I can't remember the name of the Ferengi ship or the ship that the Ferengi you know, brought back into Picard's life and controlled his brain because, you know. That, oh, uh, the Stargazer. The Stargazer. Yeah. Wow, look at you. So, I mean, Picard has been captain of a smaller ship before. One wonders, in a way, if Riker's actually not being spoiled by being so close to the captain's seat on the Enterprise. Because Picard wasn't just handed the Enterprise. Picard had the Stargazer, which he lost and still was able to prove himself as a captain and blah, blah, blah. And eventually he gets to command the flagship of Starfleet, right? Mm-hmm. What's going to look good to Riker at that point? I mean, was Picard actually saying to him... He's like, look, I know, I get it. This ship is awesome, right? But, you know, you're going to be captain. Yay. And and you'll make it your ship. Yay. And, and it'll be a thing. And one assumes that that's the career path. I mean, is yeah. he just automatically going to, like, slot into Picard's seat once Picard is out of that seat? Or does somebody else? I mean, witness the fact there has to have been a second in command on the Ares, who is not <laughs> going to be captain of the Ares, right? They're going right. to pull somebody else to be captain of the Ares. There's a decent chance, it seems, that uh, should anything ever happen to Picard, that Riker is not going to be captain, but he's going to end up serving under somebody else. So the other thing that you have to wonder, though, is like, what does this mean for Riker in Picard's eyes going forward, right? Or, or like the next time Starfleet calls and says, so we got the ship, do you think Riker's ready? I mean, this time Picard was like, oh, yeah, Riker's ready. Next time Starfleet calls and says, okay, so we got the ship. It's a pretty good ship. It's a little bit better than the Ares, but not as good as the Enterprise. Do you think Riker's ready? And Picard's going to go, well, you know, I thought he was ready last time, but he uh, he stayed here. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying that he's, like, you know, ruining his chances in Starfleet. And maybe he's always going to be fine. Look, Picard is no Kirk, but Kirk is no Picard. I mean, they're both amazing captains in different ways where we're led to believe or we're given to understand. Yeah. I mean, you know, would you rather be a, a crappy one-term president or a, a well-loved vice president who served under one of the greatest presidents of all time? I mean, it's basically another way to look at it, I suppose. Except you don't get to go off and be president of another country if you're vice president, so that doesn't quite right. work. That doesn't right. quite work. Right. Or do you? Mm. Payne's Dixon Tron costume set aside. Time now to address the messages, morals, and meanings found in the Akuras Factor. Well, sorry if it seemed like that break took a little bit longer than it normally does, but I, I had to go uh, look it up, and it turns out you do not get to just go be president of one country if you've been vice president of another. So I don't think I'm going to run for vice president anymore. I'll tell you what I will do, though. I will I will usher us into this new era of understanding and uh, and and uh, reaching across the country to to join hands with my esteemed colleague John Champion to figure out whether the messages, morals, and meanings of the Icarus Factor uh, hold up, whether they stand the test of time, whether there were even messages here. Uh, which do you want to do first, sir? The messages or the whether the whole thing holds up? 
I, I think it's more interesting to tackle whether or not it holds up because I think we're going to have a lot more to say about the messages. Okay. Really? Because so, I got a lot to say about whether it holds up. Well, I tell you what, I, I'll, I'll give you my uh, does the episode hold up. Do and, it. Um, and, and I feel like, unfortunately, no. Um, it, there's a little more to be said to it than that. Uh, the, there are production things that I wish didn't exactly happen the way that they happened. Um, I, I wish the ritual wasn't so exactly parallel between the Klingon Age of Ascension and the Ambu Jitsu match. Mm-hmm. It just seemed a little too on the nose. Um I I felt like uh, as an episode, the cool thing that we get is that we get background on these two characters. We get a little more Worf and we get a little more Riker. Mm -hmm. And if you hold on to that as you go forward with these characters, cool. But really, this is an episode you just kind of throw in the middle. Um, So fortunately, we're toward the middle slash end of season two. You throw it in the middle. If somebody has been watching TNG for a little while and they're already invested in it, you go, Oh, Hey, here's this interesting thing about Riker. If you're interested in that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really about it. You you know, that that is really about it because the episode has very little consequence otherwise. Um, And we get to see that Riker has turned down a command and will he do it again? Hmm. I guess we'll find out, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but but as far as yeah, as far as the story, as far as the production, eh, you know, it's kind of right in the middle of there. I, I, I it, it's so on the fence that it just sort of, it just sort of tips over into the uh, into the pile of episodes that don't hold up. Hmm. It's not not that not that it's horrible. It's not that it that it's offensively bad or anything like that. It's just sort of. Uh, it's just sort of a non-starter. But if you take away the interesting character bits, great. Then then cool. What about you? Wait a minute. What do you mean if you take away the interesting character bits, then cool? No, oh, you, you mean like if, if you're you able take to take them, them away you. with you. Okay, I'm you sorry. I'm take like, them with you. No, wow, no. if you take them away, then there's absolutely no reason for this episode to exist. Um, <laughs> exactly. No, this episode does not work. This episode does not hold up to me at all. Um, which Which really bugs me and makes me sad. I mean, because we kind of need it. To learn more about the characters, right? Um, we learn more about Riker. We learn more about his relationship with his father, which could, of course, you know, inform uh, his relationships with other people going forward. We get more Pulaski, which is awesome. We get more O'Brien, which is awesome. But we get all of this in a very clunky nighttime soap opera kind of way, you know? Mm-hmm. We get to learn something more about Worf, and that's great. We get an acknowledgement of the relationship between Riker and Troy, and yet I kept expecting uh, Blake and Alexis Carrington to come in at yeah. any moment. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, pick your favorite 80s nighttime soap. Were you a Knott's Landing fan? I, I didn't watch it, so I can't say. Dallas, maybe? I expected a Ewing to come wandering in and, you know, yell at somebody and throw a glass and walk away. It just, it it's, it's... <sighs> For me personally, Times Squared, which does not matter in the Star Trek universe, had so much stuff to say. This episode also had stuff to say, but boy, was it bonk, bonk on the head about saying it. I mean, it just absolutely like tossed it out there. It's like, oh, you don't understand your dad and your dad doesn't understand you. Oh, the people that are near us are our family, whereas our family might not be so close to us. Oh, you don't know everything about the people that you think you do. Eh, I mean, it's just that, that bothered me. And I get that message, but I mean, I don't care when it comes to Riker and Riker. They're just needlessly mean to each other. There are family members of mine with whom I'm not terribly close. You know what we do? We talk about the weather when we see each other. (laughs) Right. We don't talk about politics and we don't talk about, you know, 
well, you haven't called in 10 years or, well, you left that person this time this thing happened. I mean, they're just they're just needling each other at this point. Now, in that, there are parts of it that I really do enjoy. Like, um, I think his father actually says the words at one point, all we have now is this fight or all we have left is this fight. Mm-hmm. Or something like that. And that's kind of interesting. It is also, and forgive me for using the term twice, it's very bonk bonk on the head, but I love it. They are literally swinging blindly at each other. <laughs> right. They are right. covering their eyes and walking around in a circle and trying to hit each other without even being able to see what they're doing or why. That's kind of a neat visual. The Tron outfit is <laughs> <laughs> kind of cool. Have we ever seen those at the convention, by the way? No, man, oh, I want I to getting an idea. Um, oh, I totally yeah, it, want to. No, I, I, I don't even have the time or know how to do that. But I would love to see one of those outfits there. One other thing that really bugs the crud out of me about this episode: Jordy's mm-hmm. blissful ignorance of Klingon tradition and ritual. Hmm. I mean, his whole and and I'm not saying that he should know anything about it. And I know it's probably there just so we get the reveal. I mean, you don't, there was that one episode that you hated where the whole cast sat around and spelled out the episode. Everybody in the meeting knew everything that they needed to know and it was just done for the reveal. Yeah. I understand it can be difficult to, to let the audience in on something without having some character in the show suffer. But, you know, Jordy stopped just short of going, boy, Klingons, huh? You know, I mean, it was just (laughs) so like, it was so hammed up and so dumb and he is a he is a character who's usually fairly empathetic, usually fairly, not not always. But I mean, I don't expect him to know everything about Klingons, but I don't I also don't expect him to be like, you know, who cares right. <laughs> basically right. Right. about cultural differences. Uh, so bottom line, I uh, wasn't really a huge fan of the episode. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and I felt the same way that, that if you if you break it down into the two components, it's like, all right, here's the violent story about Worf, and we can talk about the the importance or interest of that. And then here's the the violent resolution to the Riker story, and we can you know judge it on its merits. So there's half the episode. But here's the thing: you you nailed it that the other half of the episode to get into is a soap opera. Yeah, and it plays like a soap opera, and yeah. and that's too bad. So you've got two halves that don't really fit together, and you got some clunky scenes thrown in there, like Pulaski and Deanna, yeah. that that sort of sort of damage what could have been a good episode. But I um, I can empathize well, with the director just saying, like, yeah, I don't think I want to do this again. There's the whole C plot as well. Oh, yeah, which is completely pointless. Yeah, completely pointless, unless it's just to show how awesome uh, Data is. Because the very Mm -hmm. first thing that Data says, I believe in the first 30 seconds of the episode is, here's what we ought to do. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, they're like, yeah, so the people from Starbase Montgomery are like, oh, we should do this thing. And Picard's like, isn't that what Data said at the beginning? (laughs) I don't understand. (laughs) Why are we? uh, It just, it, it was like, it was. Maybe it was just so we would have a reason for them to all be in engineering every time Wesley came up with another idea of how to handle Worf or something. It was, yeah, yeah that uh, yeah. you need this episode, kind of, and yet it would just be so great to read, you know, something that told us all of that stuff so we'd actually have a good episode. Like Times right. Squared, perhaps. <laughs> all right. So focusing on the Icarus factor, mm-hmm. we both don't think it holds up, but, but. I think there are messages there. 
Talk to me about messages. Well, I think I already mentioned one or two of them. The whole, you know, we don't necessarily know as much about the people central to our lives as we think we do. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a great thing that happens with Worf, actually. I mean, so Riker is having a problem with his family, like his biological family. Mm -hmm. Worf is having a problem with the fact that he doesn't have a biological family, or at least not one. No, he doesn't have a biological family doesn't have a family on, on board the ship, and yet he does end up realizing that he does have a family. What he's been sweating is not the fact that it's been 10 years, you know, since it, uh, since his ascension thing, but the fact that he doesn't have anybody to share it with now, and the fact that they come through for him. It's that whole family, the family you're born with versus the family you choose, mm-hmm. I suppose. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of a neat thing to see. Um, and, of course, fighting solves everything. <laughs> Guys are dumb. Cheat to win. Um, you know, the first two, the first two messages I was actually serious about the rest of it. Just, I got, I got tired. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? Were there there more important messages that you saw that I'm missing? Uh, no, no. Well, I mean, I, I think that I definitely agree with you about the, um, that we don't necessarily know as much about people who are important in our lives as we think we do. Um, And also the idea of trying to build a family out of friends um, or in their case, coworkers and also in their case, I maintain that they have to, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um, I think that's all very valid and, um, and it's useful stuff. Um, I, I would also say that, you know, sometimes parents are jerks. Not because they are parents, but because they are human. And that's something that Riker doesn't really show an ability to come to terms with, even though he is an adult male who seemingly otherwise is emotionally very well balanced. Well, adult men are stupid, though. I mean, have you forgotten (laughs) this episode? (laughs) Well, and I would say that the other part of it is that sometimes kids are unforgiving, Mm. but they need to be particularly when they're grownups, even if they are big, dumb men. Um, Pulaski, no, I'm sorry, uh, Diana Troy says, uh, respect is earned, not bestowed. Well, sure, I don't think that's a central message here, but certainly it's something that uh, Kyle Riker needs to learn. And, uh, you know, like you, I found that sometimes you just need a little violence to shake off the, the bad feelings. And, and hey, what's a little fighting amongst family anyway, especially when you're fighting with sticks and helmets? <laughs> so. Yep, I'm there. That's, that's yeah. why next time I see you, pal. Mm-hmm. Gloves are mm-hmm. off and, and big shielded helmets on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us today, everybody. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at Roddenberry.com, and you can even find out more cool stuff at Roddenberry.com, like Star Trek products. You can find uh, 1701news.com through Roddenberry. So please give us a look. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, you can check out Trek FM. That's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Well, I don't know about you, John, but I'm going to sit right down and write myself a letter because next week it's Pen Pals on Mission Log. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at k-i-theory.com. Pain sticks for today's show provided by k Bringing the pain does not have to break the bank. 
the hurt is on the recipient, not your wallet. When only the best in pain sticks will do. It does not feel good. TK less. And transmission.